Welcome to this week's episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and ex-coffee addict. As you may be able to tell, this is another episode that is different to my usual ones. So let's get straight to the content you're here for and my interview with author Kathy Brownlee. And I am here today with Kathy Bramley. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I know that you are in the midst of promotion for your 16th novel. I am. And I finished it yesterday, The Sunrise Sisterhood. It is a lovely story. So though I've been lucky enough to read it, I know that it doesn't actually come out till the 11th of May. So could you tell everybody a little bit about the book? I do no spoilers, so no one will find out the ending from me. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I do no spoilers as well. You'll be unsurprised to hear. Well, thank you first for having me on. This is a real treat, sitting in my office in my little office having a chat this time in the morning it's quite early um for everybody listening whenever you're listening but for me it's a little bit my dog is still in bed asleep actually she hasn't even bothered getting up yet this morning (laughs) she's always the last one up Um, oh my cat was awake at five (laughs) oh you see my see she's just like that I mean she you know when I call her down she's really she's like a grumpy teenager it's like oh do I have to get up she's the first to go to bed and the last to get up in the morning that sounds bliss. Yeah, I know. Okay, sorry, we're sidetracking already, Ray. And this, I mean, you'll you'll learn this about me that you can ask me one question, and I'll come back in forty five minutes and say what, what was the question. Okay, so the book. I'm holding it up for the purposes of just me and Ray. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's called the Sunrise Sisterhood, and it is set in Salcombe, which is a lovely, lovely seaside town in South Devon, and actually. Interestingly, it's the first time I've ever set a book in a real place. So all my other books have had fictitious locations in. But Salcombe is somewhere, and some people say Salcombe, and I apologise if you think it should be Salcombe, but I say Salcombe. Um, It's one of those places that I fell in love with a few years ago. And the minute I went, I just knew there was something really special about it. Um, It's just such a lovely town. It's set on the estuary, so it's not actually the sea. It's set on the estuary, but there are lots of bits. Um, beaches which are lovely um so as soon as I sort of fell in love with Salcombe I was like right okay I need to set a book here um I just need to wait for the right the right idea to to pop into my head so this story is about a godmother called Liz uh who runs a catering business in Salcombe Salcombe with uh, she did run it with her best friend but her best friend sadly passed away um and she has two goddaughters who are half-sisters, and they don't get on. They're estranged, really. They haven't seen each other for quite a few years. And both half-sisters end up being in Salcombe with Liz, staying in the house at the same time for this one particular summer. And it's a summer of great change for all of them. Um, For Liz, she's now got to pay back the loan that she took out 15 years ago, to, for the business and she basically hasn't been working um so that's a big struggle um one of the sisters sky has just come back from africa and she's got a lot on her mind she's got decisions to make and single mum claire has had a baby um who's now one 
and she's struggling to let people into her life. She's very, very independent and she's got to learn to accept help from other people. So there's lots of stuff going on there. There's also a man called Mike, who's both the girl's uh, fathers. Um, He's the one actually that's calling in the loan. Liz has had a friendship with him for 40 years. She met him at university and they've been friends ever since. Each one of them has a very peculiar and difficult relationship with Mike. So he's a very important character as well. So it's really about these three women from quite different walks of life who are all connected, uh, who don't see a lot of each other normally, overcoming obstacles and helping each other to overcome these obstacles and battles through the summer over the course of one summer so it's it's very much about the sisterhood um it's about women helping each other it's about really living your authentic life and having the courage to be who you want to be it is is a lovely story it really is I found I found it very interesting Mike was one of those characters who at one point you described him or Liz described him as Donald Trump, <laughs> <laughs> which didn't make him come across as even more likable. No. And the way that he plays the two girls off against each other reminded me quite a lot of my grandparents. We didn't see our cousins very often. They were quite a lot older than us. And when we go to our grandparents, they would tell us, oh, well, your cousin's done this and he's done this and he's done that. And it's like, well, he's 16 years older than me, so yes. And apparently they did the same when our cousins visited. And because we didn't see them very often, we didn't discover this playoff until we actually, after, sadly, they passed away because they were quite a lot older as well. And it turned out that they were doing the same to both of us. Mm-hmm. And it seems that that's what Mike was doing with them. Yeah. Playing them off yeah, against each other. He made Sky. I felt really bad for Sky, mm-hmm. who felt like she couldn't, as you said, be her authentic self. And even when he was kind of manipulating Liz into helping Sky, and I use the term helping with inverted commas, mm-hmm. he was very, very snide about it. I yeah. felt. Yeah, he was. He's a man who's used to getting his own way and um, he can be very strategic in the way he plays people um, and so that he gets what he wants. Um, and yeah, that, uh, did, that did come across a lot. Yeah, but Liz, you know, Liz has got a soft spot for him and she she sees, I think she sees some things in him that are, you know, his redeeming features Um, so there were a number of times when, you know, she has flashbacks to when he did, when he was a really good friend to her, uh, and when he looked out for her. So I think that, you know, I've tried to get, because no character is all bad and, um, it's almost like you want to hate him, but I hope that I've brought in some little tiny things that you sort of like, okay, then I, I admit that wasn't too bad. That was, you know, that was a nice thing. Um, because, you know, to have a character who's just all black, um, you know, sort of when you're sort of talking about black and white, you know, like completely one yeah. side or the other, you want, you don't want black and, and white, you want, you want, you know, all the shades in between, you want to be able to see those, all the nuances of someone's character, because that's not realistic to be completely, you know, no one's black and white, are they? they they're somewhere in between. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the things that struck me was, 
when these three women come together and they're working together to help each other more than anything if mike had been a completely negative character i couldn't i sort of in my head envisaged these three women plotting around a cauldron to kill him off <laughs> <laughs> that there were moments especially when um liz reveals that he's demanded this money and Sky is, oh, I'm sure that he has his reasons. And Claire is immediately, oh, no, that's awful. Because <laughs> she can only see the negative in him. Yeah, yeah. And I think that obviously that is clouded a lot by the relationship that she saw deteriorating quite young between her her parents. Mm. But then it's quite interesting that Claire seems to initially be quite, because of, I mean, everything that happens to her at the very beginning is so awful. I mean, she loses her mother on the day that she conceives her child. Mm -hmm. And those two things obviously will have a horrific effect on your mental state. And then yeah. she sees Skye coming in and sees her, sees Liz is trying to replace her mum in her mm. business. Yeah. And she is horrified at that. Yeah, And I, my heart really went out to her at that moment because she's been doing all these things and struggling on her own when, because she didn't have the courage to reach out to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like not the courage. It's just like she was just really um, stubborn and she didn't want to admit even to herself that she needed help. Um, and I think that's, that can happen to a lot of us. I know I'm the same, you know, um, somebody said to me the other day she actually said you know let me ring me get in touch and I was like and I nodded and then went well we both know I won't <laughs> because I won't you know so I, I just I, I'd hate to sort of be a burden to people and sort of say oh actually I really need help I'd rather just struggle on I'm terrible I am it's so that's probably a trait that's come from me to be honest um that's a very I think that's an independent woman trait yes <laughs> yeah um because we do sort of think well I, I don't want to bother her because she's busy enough um so so yeah so and I think when you're writing um Julie Cohen always says what's the worst thing uh, you know another writer what's the worst thing that could happen to your character and then make that happen um and so as a as an author you're you really have to sort of take a character and then throw everything at it and you know and try not to be not to be too soft you know you've got to really go at it and because a reader wants to see wants these sort of oh no moments and then oh phew moments so that's why you break her arm <laughs> thought you weren't going to give spoilers that's not a spot I think that that is such an integral part of the plot it is because it that is. is the moment that makes her vulnerable yeah and makes her realize yeah. that she she can she ask for help yeah 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 she has so to. is that why you did it yeah <laughs> well, I did it because someone. I um a couple of years ago I I got up on New Year's Day and I was like, right, this is going to be the new healthy me. And I joined in with the Joe Wicks live hit session. I was like, yeah, took a photograph, sent it to my friends. They were all hung over and like, oh, go away. Anyway, a few hours later, not so nothing to do. This is not to do with Joe Wicks. Don't, I'm not saying it's Joe's fault, but I fell <laughs> on the stairs. I 
fell on the stairs oh. and broke my arm and shoulder. I literally, oh God. you know, we've got stairs that sort of, as you go up the central staircase, you can go right or left. So there's like three extra stairs each side. And yeah. I thought I was on the bottom, like the flat bit, but I wasn't. I was, I'd got, I was one step up. So I literally put my leg out into the air, into nothing and fell sideways like a domino straight over onto my shoulder and that broke my arm. And, um, and it just opened my eyes to how much I took for granted about what I could do and um and you know I was I was in a lot of pain but also I thought I can't get things out of the fridge I can't carry anything um you know it was just it was all I couldn't sleep properly um and I thought actually that was a really interesting problem to give somebody who's used to doing everything by themselves and being totally independent I mean we live in a village uh, with like one bus a yeah. year um so if you if you can't drive you've you're really stuck so of course I couldn't drive um so you know so I, I that that experience of breaking my arm I poured all of that into Claire <laughs> Claire really takes the punches in this book <laughs> but I she think does. that is yeah, that that makes her character so much more relatable though and so much more human because in this in the beginning she is not superhuman but she does everything for herself mm-hmm. and she feels that mum guilt I think a lot of parents do feel when they have to support their family and go out to work and she leaves her daughter in the nursery a little bit too long because there is nobody else and there are those moments where you just feel her pain at the fact that she is doing this alone because she knows that her mum would have been the support for her. Yeah. And she is isolated without it. And when she breaks her arm, it's all of a sudden, I've got to ask people for help and I don't want to. And you can almost see that reluctance in her. Yeah. Which is, especially because she's, her sister is there going, I'll help you. I really want to help you. Because while Claire's had that resentment and Skye's had the, oh, your sister is perfect from her dad, she still wants to be there for her sister. Mm. Yeah. Well, she's she's tried, hasn't she, over the years to, she has tried to, um, I suppose she, she held her sister up on this sort of pedestal sky was you know for for her claire always had the things that she wanted but funnily enough claire thought that sky was the one that got everything that she wanted but so it's like the birthday parties you know sky would have these amazing yeah. children's birthday parties but and claire, and claire would just have a couple of friends around for a pizza and actually that was just what sky wanted but her parents were all about the you know the showy parties um, and so it just goes to show that you, you know, the grass is a, the grass is always greener, but you just, you know, sometimes you just, you want the simple things. What would have made you happy would to be, be to stay at home with the book and not go out and have a party, you know? So, um, oh, that sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I know, as I was saying, I was thinking, oh, ideal birthday. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that does sound like a perfect birthday, actually. <laughs> yeah it is my birthday it's my birthdays a lot actually I do like that on my birthday I've always had a rule because my birthday is the 29th of August um which is always around the bank holiday 
Um, and as a child, I was obviously never in school for, for those days around my birthday. Um, and so I've always, always, I've never gone to school on my birthday. I have never gone to work on my birthday if I can help it. So I, I always, when I was working for employers proper with proper jobs, um, I would have the day off. And I always keep it that way. I never work on my birthday. So that's my birthday is around Valentine's Day. So it's always half term. So oh. I've done the same thing. <laughs> I always book my birthday off as well. So it's nice and relaxing. And normally it is a museum or a book. Or this year it was recording podcasts while drinking a lot of Prosecco. Oh. <laughs> Does that mix? Not really. <laughs> it made for an interesting listen, I think, for the audience who'd never heard me um, on under the influence. But when I listened back to it myself, it was, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a little bit too bad. But I think the one thing, obviously, with the contrast with the birthdays, I think the biggest one was the BMX and the pony. Yeah. Because Sky did not want that pony. No. <laughs> And Claire's BMX bike was secondhand and, um, you know, and then she sold it again and made even more money on it. So I think that there's just the contrast in the way the girls were brought up. So although Claire does get a lot, as you say, she takes the punches, she actually had her mum, you know, gave her a, a wonderful childhood and they had a really close bond, whereas Skye didn't have that with her mum. So or her pet or either of her parents. So, you know, there are, it evens out, it evens out in, in the hands, the cards they were dealt. It does. Her mum was almost a footnote in the book. It's like throw away her mum, Frankie, sort of is yeah. a, a presence in Sky's life, but she isn't really there because she was never even really that interested in no, her she, children. No. No. And then after they, her and her husband split up, she was more interested in what the dad was up to. She would ask Sky to spy on the dad and feedback. Um, so that's what she was interested in rather than in, in Sky's life, which was, uh, which is a shame. It's not, it's not nice to feel that you're not important in your mother's life. Absolutely not. I mean, that's the one thing it seems Ivy is getting from everybody is the attention that they seem to have needed that obviously Claire got from her mother but she didn't get from her father and that was this I think that was the thing that Claire didn't want to have for her daughter but at the same time she was giving her everything that her mum had given her mm. Ivy was so cute yeah <laughs> Ivy yeah I loved Ivy in fact um my editor Sam Eads has uh, got a baby. Well, she's two now, actually, but um, because my own children are like 23 and 21 now. So I'd ring Sam and say, can Ivy do, um, can Ruby do this? And she'd say, yes, uh, she can do this. And she's eating this and she's, you know, saying this and these are the noises she makes. So um, that was quite interesting to sort of compare a real life child and and get those in. So I've had, I've seen one um, review and someone um, has said, oh, you can't give children raisins, I think it is. Uh, And I remember um, at that age, because she's one, but I remember when Isabel, my my youngest one, was was one. And um, I used to work for Mary Berry, interestingly, random fact. Um, So... 
I had a PR company and um, we used to do Mary Mary's PR because she has a range of salad dressings. And I was at Mary's house and I was talking about, um, what were you talking about? I think she'd got a test coming up about the baby, you know, they have developmental tests or checks, I should say. Yeah. And um, Mary said, give her raisins, put some raisins on her, you know, on her tray and her high chair and, and um, see how she gets on with those. And she loved them. So I always remembered that. Um, and I, yeah, I put this in the book and someone said, you can't give children dried fruit. And I thought, Mary Berry says you can. <laughs> and I'm going with Mary Berry. <laughs> that That's it. That I think that every child has different de- 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 uh, developmental, oh my good grief, I couldn't even say the word, stages. <laughs> and they all grow at different. My sister has four children ranging from 25 to 12. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. Very big gap. But. I remember them all being very, very different as children, Mm. even though obviously brought up in the same household, but very, very different with how they reached the different stages. And Mm. reading Ivy, everything that she did was just so cute and adorable. (laughs) And she was kind of the, in a way, the comic relief from all of the seriousness that was going on because she wasn't aware of it all. That's right. Being a one-year-old baby. And she connected them all as well. She was able to connect them in a really happy way, whereas Mike was the one that connected them in sort of quite a negative way. So I wanted that sort of like this new, this new life, this new relationship for them all. So I was sort of represented the future, if you like, for the family, which I think is, you know, it's lovely, isn't it? When you've got a child that, child that can do that to, to unite you all. They all had also, I'm not going to obviously reveal them, but they all had secrets that were kind of the fact that they were keeping these secrets. It was almost like, I'm going to keep this to me. I'm not going to tell anybody. And that was kind of bonding them as well, even though they were all very, very different. It was the fact that they were trying to hide them from each other that kept them close which mm. I found quite interesting because obviously you have Claire with her secret after, and they all start at a party. <laughs> <laughs> that, party that party was incredible. And the scene where Claire snips over the cake. But yeah, okay, it has a tragic, <laughs> tragic <laughs> ending. But it is, it's those moments that are so human. Yeah. Because... It just shows every single one of them can make a mistake. Liz was, I think Liz is just struggling in general. Yes. Yeah. And that really comes across at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Liz, you know, Liz has uh, really, really missed her best friend, her best friend, Jen, who's Claire's mom. You know, when we sort of have words for losing our partner, you know, and... uh, And that is sort of expected, isn't it, that when you lose your husband, your wife, your spouse, your long term partner, that you're going to be grieving, that you're going to really be suffering for a long time. But I think, you know, for Liz, the love of her life was Jen. I don't I mean, in a platonic way, you know, just friendship, but she loved her um, and to lose her and to try and carry on without her. I think it, you know, just goes to show how deep those sort of bonds can go with with your best friend and you know sort of 18 months afterwards she's still really struggling um but but feels that she should have got over it 
Is it that she feels she should have got over it or everybody else does? Well, I think she... Mike is is the one who's really kind of, oh, well, you need to do this and you've got to do that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Viv is kind of the, the woman who is pushing her to move on and start restart the business it's almost as though everybody else is expecting her to have done these things and reached these moments yeah I guess yes you're right it is the others around her as well but I think she feels and then because of that she's sort of taking that pressure on like I should have got over it by now but um I think you know with those scenarios is like Viv for example she's a businesswoman who has done uh, a lot of work with Liz in the past as far as she's concerned, she's probably thinking, well, you know, you need to get out there. You need to work. You know, you've got, you've got to make a living. So she's, in, in a way, she is trying to help, although she is very pushy, as we know. Um, yeah, but um, I guess, you know, I guess people are trying to, they're perhaps being a bit crass in the way they're trying to help her um, because they, they, they assume that she needs to move on. But for Liz, um, she's really she's really can't get over the fact that she can't run this business without her best friend because they set it up together. It's called the gourmet girls and you know, they've always been the gourmet girls and, and gourmet girl just isn't in this, isn't the same. So, you know, it's, it's a really tough time for her to have to come to terms with the fact that something's got to change and, and she hasn't wanted to change. She hasn't wanted to face that change um, and of course, over the course of the book, she realizes what it is that she loves doing. And, and she can now start to see a future for herself, which she hasn't been able to do prior to that summer. And she also stands up for herself as well. She which does. Was, which was brilliant to read, I have to say. <laughs> the fact that she finally said no yeah. and and actually took a stand that was right. Yeah. And yeah. she also started making those decisions that obviously are incredibly painful. Mm, yeah. She realized now she was ready and it wasn't through other people pushing her. It was through her making that realization, which I yeah. thought was fantastic to read the development of her character through the realization that actually, yes, I am drinking too much. And that moment where she realizes where that kick started. Yes. To... Yes actually saying no I'm not going to do it anymore Mm, yeah that's it isn't it yeah I I think there's it's quite a thing for you know in life that you know you can say you want to change or you can accept that you need to do things differently until you actually make that decision that you are going to change that this is the day day one of the new me you know you you just can't do it so and, and people can be around you and wanting to help you but if you're not ready then it's just not going to work and you're just going to carry on with the same behavior. Um, so, and, and sort of, she was thinking as well uh, that part of the new me is going to be finding a new man. And of course she's got the ideal man on the opposite side of the estuary. Um, so because Salcombe's on an estuary, so across the water, there's a little ferry that tootles back and forward across the estuary and on the other side is um little town little village i suppose called east portlemouth um and she's got a customer that she's been seeing regularly taking afternoon tea to him and his mum and elderly aunt um for the last couple of years and you see that relationship and i just i love writing older older people um and so right are absolute cards yeah (laughs) 
they I just love how um, I just love putting older characters in because they just say exactly what they want. Um, they you know they've got to that age where they're just going to say it. Then <laughs> just going to say it. they don't, don't care. care. Uh, and I I love that. I love that. And um, my grandmother sadly passed away this week, and she was ninety eight. Um, and a lot of my uh, the sort of observations that I make about elderly ladies are sort of based from you know, based on things my nana has said over the years. Um, so she's always she's always been a great source of amusement. Bless her. Um, so I yeah I love my elderly characters. Um, so they I really were, enjoy. They were fantastic, and the way they were not I, I felt kind of, there were moments where I felt kind of sorry for Patrick yeah. <laughs> all yeah. the things that, that I mean they really didn't hold back in the things that they said no. and no. when they were talking about uh their husbands and their <laughs> past dalliances you're sitting there going, yeah. oh not discreet at all no and poor <laughs> Patrick's like trying to put plug his ears yeah. like I don't want to hear this mum you know, so he's yeah, he's such a good um, he's such a good man, isn't he? He's just so kind and uh, patient. Um, so I, yeah, I really interesting like... name for his boat though. Ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it just um, I I think I've seen a boat called Ecstasy actually. I must have done in the past, but I just thought it was it was already named, so we had to keep the name. And um, I just thought it was so um, not Patrick you know, to have a boat called Ecstasy. Um, so, <laughs> and it's a play on words, obviously. The C is, the oh, Ecstasy cool. is S-E-A at the end. And I just thought it would just be, because he's so sort of quite buttoned up, isn't he? Well, not buttoned up. He's, he's you know, it's quite a, it's quite a, not prudish. I can't think of the word, but um, he's a gentleman. And um, yes, very I think taking, so. taking Liz out on, for a spin on his Ecstasy um, was just, I think it was just, it just made me laugh made me giggle he's very charming he is for me he was a very much a foil for Mike's character the complete opposite actually considerate of those around him and he immediately there's that moment where they're they come for tea and his mother and his aunt are oh a baby <laughs> because they and they'd have loved grandchildren, but obviously yeah. it didn't happen for Patrick. And Ivy gravitates towards him. I know, I know. Which is just love. It's so beautiful to read that moment because he—that's what he wanted, but it didn't occur. It didn't. didn't it just didn't. Yeah. Whatever reason happen. Yeah. But in Ivy, he's found found that bond, even though it possibly won't last very long because yeah. Claire obviously lives in Bath. Yeah. And it's just really those little tidbits of relationships are so, they're just littered throughout the entire book. Yeah, I and do. I well, I do, you know, I, I do try. Um, and I think, you know, what that scene's saying is that you know, kids know, don't they? They can, they instantly yeah. sense who the good ones are. And and Ivy was straight over to Patrick. So even though Liz was really angry with him at the time, or she was she was disappointed in him, um, Ivy sort of leads that scene by saying, "No, he's a good one. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show the way, everyone." So yeah, I I, I really like 
I really like putting in those sort of very subtle character, little little interactions between characters. And there and there are so many of them. I mean, even with the party, because you've got Angel and Marta, mm. and it's just such a. I think the party is the moment, as I said at the beginning, that where everything kind of expands from. Mm, because it's a it's yes. kind of it's a place of coincidence because mm. you don't expect yes. obviously Claire's horrified that she sees yeah. Adam who's yeah. asking who's calling her Saskia and everybody else is like who <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I love that scene in fact the scene that I one of the first scenes I wrote in the book was the flashback scene with Adam and, and Saskia in the in the spa hotel and it really set the scene for me, for Claire and for Claire's character. It's sort of she wants to be sort of quite risky and, um, you know, adventurous, but it's just not her. She really does like, you know, deep down, she's a five year plan sort of woman. Um, but just for that one night and one night only, she was sexy Saskia, um, the location scout. And I just had so much fun writing that scene. Um, and letting her imagination run wild. She was free for a moment. She was. She let herself just do what she wanted for just one night. Um, and what a night it was, as it turned out. Um, yes. So it sort of set the course for the rest of her life, didn't it? Totally so, mucked up any five-year plans she may have had before yes, that point. Yeah. But and, and you mentioned... Yeah, you mentioned Marta there. I mean, Marta is another character who I really enjoyed writing. Um, so I do yoga and I follow quite a lot of people who are who give motivational, inspirational quotes and things like that. And Marta is just that, you know, epitome of the person that gives says the right thing at the right time and, and just motivates you to to be a better person and to, just to go for you, what you want in life. And I thought she was quite an interesting, that sort of calm. So she's quite a calm person and, you know, um, someone that, you know, can really just give that extra level of, mindfulness if you like sort of makes making the characters think and so I, th I really enjoyed putting her in and getting her in the car with Liz and you know on the beach with doing beach yoga um with Sky so I, I really enjoyed her character as well because for me doing sunrise yoga oh God, on, the, on the beach it's just amazing I mean I'd like to do it in somewhere warmer than than Devon to be honest but um I could just imagine it and the <laughs> beaches that I've mentioned in the book are beautiful beautiful beaches there's south sands and north sands and then there's there's the beaches on the opposite side of the uh the estuary as well which are also beautiful so um I think there's lots of vivid imagery in the book that's going to make people want to sit down and take deep breaths of sunshiny air Oh, absolutely. I think that that was one of the things that the beach seems to be a place of massive calm for all of mm. the characters. Yeah. Because that's where they go for, I think, for some of the most important moments in the book. Yes. And Mar Marta is, as you said, she is the calm and she's exactly who Sky needs Yes. At that moment, she is the the peace and the tranquility that Sky has returned to the to 
home to find. Mm. Yeah, and she's the, grounds the reason why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She grounds her, um, and just she she makes it feel like home to her, doesn't she? And I think Marta yeah. enables Sky to feel that this actually could be a life that this could she could actually you know develop a life here um because she'd been feeling she'd been living in Uganda for 5 years um but she'd always felt that it was temporary and she didn't really know why um so but when she comes back she's like you know why am i back what am i going to be doing what's my future going to be and it's really through meeting Marta that she is able to see and sort of envisage a future future for herself so um you know so Marta's has quite an important role in the book. Um, and I thought that'd be really nice. I've not done a yoga teacher before and, you know, I, I know a lot of yoga teachers um, and I just thought, you know, they're such lovely, calm people um, with such positivity. And I, I thought it'd be really nice to put her in the book. I did yoga on the beach once when I was <laughs> on holiday in the Dominican Republic because oh, I yeah. live on a... Yeah, the I don't know if you know Worthing Beach is mostly pebble oh, until the until the until, until the sea goes out until the tide goes out it is very much pebble beach. Yes. So it's not a case of you can go there and do yoga. It's quite <laughs> uncomfortable. But yeah. the the beach on the Dominican Republic was nothing but white sand and turquoise oh, ocean yeah. so it was beautiful mm-hmm. to look out on. But it's not something you can really continue on the beach in one day. No, no. But there are lots of places in the UK that do beach yoga. In fact, I think um, Veronica Henry, um, another author with Orion, who's got her new book out, 30 Days in Paris. um, Which is fantastic. She she does yoga on the beach sometimes. And um, I think I did look up her yoga teacher for a bit of of inspiration for, for that one as well. So... Yes, it yeah, can be done. An, it is a it that's the thing. There is a lot going on in the book, but there are also those moments of peace and tranquility that you get when the characters have that sense of I'm I know where I'm going mm. and I know what I want now. Yes, there are yeah. the frantic bits that re, that get them there, but they have those that realization. And that's what I really enjoyed about the book. Yeah, I I loved all the action and everything that got them to those places. But I liked that moment when they go, yes, I know what I need to do now. Yes. Because yeah. it, fe- it felt relatable. Yes. And that's the whole point, really. I, I want to have a story which is, you know, it's slightly larger than life, but it also needs to feel relatable. And life isn't one massive crash 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 you know there are those quiet moments where you're just by yourself and you're thinking things through and you know those those are really important um they're just as important as the big conflict moments is those little moments of quiet and and me time just time to reflect and think and right okay this has happened this is what I think and this is what's going to happen next you know so I think those are just really important in in fiction but in in life as well aren't they and and my books are meant to be a reflection of real life but hopefully not um quite as dramatic <laughs> I, was gonna say, I don't think anybody is sitting there going yes I want all of these things to happen to me in one go <laughs> no nobody wants to break their arm I can assure you um but thank heavens for morphine that's all I can say Yes, Claire definitely seemed to benefit from that at times. Yes. And I, I've only ever broken a toe and that was painful enough. 
<laughs> I've broken a toe, I must admit. Um, but yeah, the arm situation was another level of pain. Um, but anyway. And also the, incon- the inconvenience of it as well, all the things that you can't do. Yes, yes. Because I don't think you, re- I, I think that's one of the things when you do something that you kind of like breaking your arm or damage it, spraining a wrist or anything else, you don't seem to realize until that moment all of the things that you actually rely on two hands for. <laughs> yeah, you can't do your bra up. I mean, that's a, a big thing. <laughs> Getting your bra on is, uh, is, you know, is very tricky. Um, so, or tying up your um, bikini top. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I actually did. I mean, I I put it in the in the book that she had this bikini top, and that's what I did. I ordered some little string bikini tops and put them on under my clothes, just so I. I mean, they didn't really do much, um, but I, uh, I I just it made me feel better. So yeah, I have I've got all these random bikini tops in my in my wardrobe now from the days. It's a little I, bit of a little bit of sort of com- uh, comfort and familiarity, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> having that tiny bit of support yeah yeah you just sort of feel that you know you're not completely loose and fancy free no but I think that's that's the comfort aspect (laughs) reassurances with this is your 16th book since 2015 is that that's right um yes well my first book that I published was actually 2013 so it's I'm 10 years into it now um so I self-published my first book uh Conditional Love um in October 2013 um and then it was republished by Transworld a couple of years later but my first book for um Transworld who is my previous publisher was Ivy Lane and that came out in ebook in 2014 paperback in 2015 so um so yeah so it's been it's been officially 10 years of, uh, of being a writer and it's almost two books a year then yes yes it is how do you how do you get two books I don't, you know what I don't know but um I've I'm, going forward I'm pretty much going to be focusing on one book a year um because uh I'm trying to pack more into my, more go dig a bit deeper into the emotions I mean, and this, it's you know this book um, was quite big because it was yeah. 440 pages, I think. Yeah. Did you get a proof? No, I got an ebook. Oh, okay. Okay. And um, that was 440 pages, which is okay. a considerable size. Yeah. I'm just looking at the paperback because I, yeah, the paperback is 420. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is considerable, as you say. Um, yeah, I always, um, I used to sort of try and set a goal of 100,000 words, but now, and I would always overshoot that. So now I'm setting a goal of 90,000 words because I know that I will still overshoot that, but it will still hopefully come out a bit shorter. Um, but you just get so involved in all the characters and then you, you know, as you're going on, you, you have like these separate little side characters and they've got stories and so then you want to you know have them to have a character arc and you know and with 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 this one because I've got three main characters obviously they've all got to have their stories and they've got to have you know let it be deep enough for you to care about so it can't just be a very superficial story it's gonna be quite a big meaty story um so yeah the more characters you have as your point of view characters um 
the longer it is for me to write them. The next one that I'm writing is just from the point of view of one person. So I'm hoping I can, you know, rein it in a bit. How do you, yeah, what is your writing pro? Because you've written so many over a relatively short period of time, the turnaround is quite quick. So how do you go about planning your, do you plan the story out? in detail before you write it or do you write it and then go oh that's a really good idea I better make a note of that um I do plan I have a plan before I start and I I I work quite a lot quite spend a lot of time on the planning of the novel but what happens once you actually start putting the words down on the page is it's that plan will change and you realize actually what I need here is a bit more of this. And I hadn't really thought what the character was going to be thinking here and what she's getting out of this. So it does, it's, it's a movable, it's just a movable feast really. So I, I have a plan, but I'm very flexible with it. I don't make myself stick to it because new ideas come as well all the time. Um, so I can have, initially when I did the synopsis for this book, um, it, you know, there were some, quite a few differences. Um, so as you, as you, right it changes and it's quite an organic process you've got an idea and the ending's still the same you've got an idea and you're going towards that ending and you're sort of writing away and you think oh god that's such a brilliant idea I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna do that then you have to stop and go back to the beginning and incorporate that idea so um so I plan but I'm also don't make myself stick to it rigidly um because you know that's not that's not really creative so I, I do allow new ideas to come in and, and change it. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm writing a new book now and I've got a chat with my friend, Isabel Broom, another author, um, later on after we finish speaking. Yeah. So I've got, I've got a question that I'm not happy. Well, I've got something I'm not happy about. So we're going to talk that through and I can work out the, the way forward. Um, so th- there's always a room for manoeuvre in the plan. <laughs> That's not bad, I think that's the way that's life though isn't it you yeah go uh, unfortunately you can't go back to the beginning and go well actually <laughs> don't like that bit can I change it yeah. but you can adapt as you go on so I think that is interesting I think that some authors I know I mean I used to write I don't anymore because I'm I'm doing this but I used to write quite a lot and I'd write such detailed plans out that I'd find I'd written myself into a corner before I even wrote the story yeah which is yeah. quite frustrating so have you ever written yourself into a corner and gone right okay so what did I do earlier on that I shouldn't have done or do you just go right I can figure out a way out of this I don't normally write myself into a corner because I will always sort of when when as I'm writing I will always have the next sort of three or four chapters loosely in my head like what's going to come up um and I have written when I um I wrote the Lemon Tree Cafe a few years ago um, and I just had the, a plan for that and I, I you know I, I knew what I was doing started writing it I got to 75,000 words and I just thought I, this isn't right this I've now developed this character and I just know she wouldn't do what I'm trying to push her towards doing um, so I binned the whole lot and started again um, 75,000 words 75,000 words yeah 75, oh and I didn't God. use any of them but I knew the character quite well, so it was easier. Um, so it was still the same character, but I just had I just had a much better premise for the book, and 
and it became my I mean I honestly I, I wept I can't tell you how many hours I wept over all those lost words but but it actually became my first Sunday Times bestseller so I sort of think you know it wasn't wasted that work wasn't wasted um it was a shame it was a great shame but um it did get me to a much much better book um and you know hopefully I won't make that mistake again but you just have to That's listen right. to your inner critic you well you have to listen to your inner critic as long as your inner critic's being sensible sometimes they can be too critical but you know sometimes you just know if it's not working um it's not working and uh it, it can be a small thing which you think I can fix that I can go back and fix that that's fine or in the case of that book it was a massive thing and I knew it was never going to be right and it you know so it was far better start again clean slate page one and uh, I'm glad I did I think that's the thing isn't it when you realize that moment you've written that that last word in it and you go this is not what I wanted this is not where it's it needs to be mm. and it, it's horrifying though the thought of seventy five thousand words because that's a lot of work yeah. but at the same time as you said if it's not right it's not right yeah yeah that's it and uh, and I knew in my heart of hearts that it was, wasn't salvageable it was just the wrong story for that character um so yeah it is history but uh, I learned a lot <laughs> and I learned a lot and as, and as you said it's become that book has was your first Sunday Times bestseller so the yeah. rewrite was the right way to go absolutely have you ever written some yeah have you ever written something and thought this could be amazing for someone else <laughs> another character another no, character. No. <laughs> <laughs> here you go I have a book I've written for you no I've never thought that um because it is my voice. It's very everything I write is very much my voice, and everything that happens in the books are influenced by things I've seen, things that I've done, things that people have said to me. You know, um, my experiences. So I think it is. Although nothing is autobiographical, there are elements through those books that my friends would recognise. Um, my friends and family would recognise um, as either, you know, having to us, having happened to us collectively or something one of them said. So, you know, there's a lot of personal, you know, there is every book is a bit of me. Um, so I can't imagine anyone else, you know, being able to, to write or wanting, <laughs> wanting to write it, frankly. But what about uh, the stories you've written? Have you ever um, seen a a character development and gone this is actually not right for this character but it would be right for a character that I'm thinking about for something else um I don't think that's happened to me I'm very much when I'm into a book I'm very into the book and I don't really think ahead to future characters um I mean you know when I'm I'm in writing a first draft now and and the story feels around me all the time you know I'm sort of in that book all the time um so it's you know, like I've got the Sunrise Sisterhood comes out on on the, on the 11th of May, but I'm now already immersed in another story with another character. And it almost feels like I have to really think about the characters in the Sunrise Sisterhood because I've been away from them for, for quite a while. And I'm now in with this new set of friends that I'm, you know, taking on a journey. So, um, so yeah, I just, I'm very, it, it does, it's very absorbing writing a first draft is very absorbing and I I don't really think um 
about I'm very careful about bringing characters in giving them a, a proper role to do there's no there's no wasted characters um I'll strip out characters if I can in this in the edit and combine roles so that I don't have too many people there so I don't generally have a character that um isn't right for that book or doesn't have a role so following on from that if I said to you do you have a favorite character does it depend on what you're working on it does I mean I really love Liz in this book um I just think she's such a lovely person um so but then I'm writing a new book with a woman called Maggie in it and and she's lovely as well so uh, but I think within within this the Sunrise Sisterhood, I think Liz is a really special character because she's doing that job of pulling them all back together. She's she's knitting that family unit and and creating that summer that they're always going to remember and really start the start of a new new you know era for the family. So I think that um, she's really pivotal in this book. And that house that she's got, Clemency House. You know, it's it's just, and I can see that this is this is one summer in their lives. But you know, I like to think that next summer they'll be doing it as well, and you know, getting them, they'll all be back together, not necessarily in a book, but you know, in in my head. That's that's <laughs> oh, it. <laughs> There's nothing. I think that's the thing. They are very real people because these things are not. It's not like oh. They've been taken by the fairies and they're in another universe. These, This is a real place and these things do happen. So, the, I mean, they could be happening to Joe Bloggs living down the road for all anybody knows. And Liz's role in their family, despite not being a mother or a sister, her role is pivotal because yes. she's she's kind of like the glue that holds them all together. Mm. Yes, and she I think is. That's, that's a massively important role to play in somebody's life, which is fantastic yeah. to read because yeah. normally they're the people that kind of sit on the periphery mm. and overlook everything. Like she's almost like a fairy godmother. Yeah. But in real I think life, godmothers are, godmothers just are such a great role in a family, aren't they? You know, you can go to your godmother and sort of tell them the truth and, and ask all the awkward questions you don't want to ask your real mother. I'd rather, my, um, I'd rather my godchildren didn't do that just if they're listening <laughs> I have three of them <laughs> but you know I think that it can be godmother and I think you know you can being asked to be somebody's godmother is such an honor as well you know to think I've I'm always going to feel special about that child you know they're always going to be important to me so I think that's a really nice bond a godmother and a godchild and I think this book gives that gives that relationship a bit of an airing because it's not one we see very often in books no it's not and it is lovely to read it is I half expected Claire to say will you be Ivy's godmother (laughs) at some point because kind of carrying on the tradition because Mm. she's almost like the grandmother that she hasn't got yeah yeah maybe Skye will be her godmother Mate, yeah, because they have finally developed that bond yes which yeah. I think they both needed yeah. and that's that's almost what it feels like the book is about it's about those relationships that you need mm. yeah and the ones that you need to cling to that's which right. is which is beautiful to read and it is so the book isn't just about 
them either. It's about the relationships that they build outside of that bond yes. because of it. Yes. Which is <laughs> which is nice in a way that you don't expect it to be because you sort of think, oh, these people are going to interfere, but they just make it bigger and stronger. Yes, that's right. So it's it's having the bond with each other that enables them to build the bonds outside of that little group um, because they all, you know, learn about each other and, and learn to trust and, you know, and lean on each other. So, yeah, and, and tell each other their open their hearts up really and once they've opened their hearts up to those people then they can do it to others so I think it gives them the strength to do so yeah which they needed you've got I know that you are um start obviously you are going to be doing something on the 11th to celebrate the launch of the book are you going to be doing anything else around that time to tell people more about Um, you can join me in waterstones in nottingham for that event i'm also doing uh, a few others Um, i'm doing newark book festival in july i'm going to be doing an afternoon tea at woodborough hall which is nottinghamshire as part of the loudon book festival as well so there are lots of things but i'm I'm always online um instagram is my favorite now i tend to be on instagram more than anything else but i'm also on facebook so um yeah Lots going on, lots and lots going on. And an afternoon tea is a perfect tie into the book as well. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yes, good thinking. Yeah, so Millie Johnson and Isabel, oh, sorry, Isabel Isabel Broom and Millie Johnson will be at the afternoon tea as well, so we're sharing that. And I'm doing New at Book Festival with Lucy Diamond, which will be delightful. Now, I think I've got Lucy Diamond's newest book on my bookcase at the moment. (laughs) Lucky you. Which is which I'm looking forward to reading. I think those are definite summer reads. And this Absolutely. one is one that is going to ease you into the summer months and wish it was sunny already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to post the links to your socials in the notes below. And thank you so much for coming on and talking about the book because it really was a, an enjoyable read. And it's made me long for something that we haven't currently got. <laughs> <laughs> sunshine (laughs) yes exactly but thank you so much for coming on and I really look forward to reading the next book which will be I'm guessing next year now yes it will now yes it will thank you so much my pleasure thank you very much for joining me (laughs) bye bye well that's it for this week Thank you for listening and thank you again to my guest, the author, Kathy Bramley. Her latest book, The Sunrise Sisterhood, which, as you can tell, is lovely, is out this coming Thursday, the 11th of May. So don't forget to buy yourself a copy. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at being bookish pod. Or you can check out my website beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and a new book is already calling me. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.